Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Tuesday, September 13th, 2022. And today will be better than yesterday. Working from the Sarah Abbott Studios, somewhere close to Bristol, Connecticut, is Sarah Abbott. Taylor Schwenk is working from the Schwenk Studios. One of the questions from the Bleacher Tweeters today is about whether or not there needs to be uh, some sort of a, a brand attached to Taylor's Studios because they're becoming so famous I'm Buster Only. I'm working uh, in Montana in my home, and I will tell you that if you hear the, like this little banging sound in the background, this uh, sound of chewing in the background, it's because I have a puppy right at my feet, guys. This is really an exciting. I mean, there's been a lot of exciting developments in your life, but I think the addition of Quinny to your uh, family there has been the most exciting for me and Sarah. I think personally, we're getting lots of fun videos and lots of shots of her while we're doing the podcast, having some fun. Yeah, and she is either a huge baseball fan or she just likes to have contact because, <laughs> I, you know, I have this office here and she was standing outside wagging her tail, looking at me through the glass doors like, please let me in. Please let me in. So I let her in and she's at my feet chewing a bone. She, Hey, she's looking for contact. She, she'd make a great hitter in the big leagues. Right. All for exactly. the Quinny content. All for the Quinny content. Yeah, and there's great Quinny content. Her going off a dock. You know, she looks like the Greg Luganis of, of Yellow Labs. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> wow. The way that she goes after a, a tennis ball. All right. Last night, uh, the Dodgers were in a weird situation. You remember on Sunday how we'd gotten word from Major League Baseball that the Dodgers had clinched a playoff spot. Well, as it turns out, they hadn't. Major League Baseball put out a statement saying that it failed to account for a potential scenario in which the Padres overtake the Dodgers for the National League West title. So the Dodgers didn't actually clinch on Sunday. Well, on Monday, they took care of business with help from Mookie Betts. And there's a shot to left. It's way back there, and it is gone. A home run. A three-run home run for Mookie Betts. His 34th of the year. He now has 77 runs batted in, and the Dodgers now lead it 6 to nothing. It was a call from the great Charlie Steiner, AM570 LA Sports. Here was the final call. The 1-1 is popped in the air. Foul. First baseline. Freddie Freeman's there. He's got it. And the Dodgers' magic number is down to one as they have recorded their 12th shutout of the season. They're now 54 games over 500. Six to nothing over the Diamondbacks tonight. Yeah, and the magic number referenced by Charlie there was uh, to clinching the National League West. So the Dodgers in the playoffs. That's not a big deal for the Dodgers, who make the playoffs every year. In City Field, the Mets carried a a one-and-a-half game lead into Monday's game against the Cubs in the National League East. But you know what? It didn't go so well. Zach McKinstry getting a big hit for the Cubs. The 2-1 drill. Deep right field. Way back. Naquin looks up. It's gone. Zach McKinstry gives the Cubs a 3-0 lead. A two-run home run to right. And the Cubs are playing Powerball early here in New York. That from the Cubs radio network. They jumped on Chris Bassett, who had a rare, tough start. Five earned runs, five hits allowed, two homers. His most earned run allowed in any start since June 8th against the Padres. Cubs went 5-2. The Braves had an opportunity to pick up a game on the Mets. But you know what? The Giants had other ideas. 
Normal depth. Here's the pitch. Swing. There's a smash into right field. Deep toward the wall. And it's off the pillar. Off the bricks. Between the second and third archways. One run scores. That was John Miller on KNBR. The Giants beat the Braves 3-2, so that one-and-a-half game lead for the Mets over the Braves in the National League East holds. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats. Life happens live. In Houston, big ticket was Framber Valdez, who continues to throw well. He was dominant on Monday night. In a single season, Fromber Valdez trying to tie Jacob DeGrom for the major league mark. This ball to center field. Back goes Dubon. He's got it lined up. Fromber's first complete game shutout of his career. And he ties a major league record 24th consecutive quality start. Yep. A 7-0 win. Valdez having a tremendous season. After the game, Astros manager Dusty Baker talked about how Valdez was helped out by the defense. Framber depends on defense. He's no, I mean, he can strike you out, but, you know, he depends on, on defense like a lot of pitchers do. And uh, that's one thing that we take pride in is defense and we work on it. And, uh, you know, we expect to, you know, get results, you know, from our defense. And uh, especially when, when Framber's pitching, you know your infield got to be sharp and you got to be sharp for, for soft contact, you know, because they top a lot of balls like that ball that Bregman made a great play on. Uh, we made, you know, quite a few good plays. You know, Yuli made a good play uh, and then got the runner at the, at the plate. So um, it was a good night. In Cleveland, the Guardians fighting to hold on to first place in the American League Central. They faced the Angels. And they face one of the hottest hitters in baseball right now, Mike Trout. Here's a ball that's lifted high and deep out into center field, and that one is Trout of here! Mike Trout has hit another home run seven straight games. He's homered, and that one ties up this ball game at four. That was Terry Smith, Angels Radio AM 830. We'll have a lot of Trout talk on the podcast today in advance of a lot of Trout talk next week. But... With the Angels, of course, despite what Mike Trout does, despite what Shohei Otani does, they usually lose. And the pitch hit grounded sharply down the third baseline into the left field corner. Juan is on his way to third. He's being waved home. Rosario is stopping at second. Guardians take the lead on an RBI double by Ahmed Rosario as he shot it down that third baseline and into the left field corner. And Ahmed Rosario with his second double in the game, his 55th run batted in. Tom Hamilton, WTAM, 1100. Guardians win that game 5-4. to four. In the American League wildcard race, the Blue Jays and the Rays facing off in Toronto. Tampa Bay had a 2-1 to one lead, bottom of the eighth inning. And then this happened. The 3-2 pitch. Bichette swings and he hits it. High and deep. Out to left field. A Rosarena in front of the wall. He jumps. It's gone! It's gone! That from Sportsnet, 590, the fan, Bo Bichette right now. Ridiculously hot, Taylor. Oh, yeah. He's crazy. He tore up the Orioles last week. You know, the Blue Jays looking like the best team in the AL East at the moment. Um, let's promote a couple things here. Kyle Brandt's basement is out today. That is a Tuesday. And he's talking to Josh Allen on that podcast. You might have heard of that guy. He tore it up on Thursday night against the Rams. Check out Kyle Brandt's basement wherever you get your podcasts. Also, the College Game Day show up and running. Pete and Reese reviewing 
week three that is up as well for your listening pleasure check that out the college game day podcast wherever you listen to podcasts hot ticket is brought to you by vivid seats the official ticketing partner of espn get great deals and the hottest tickets experience it live you can now stream the most major league baseball games on direct tv without a satellite dish yes catch the clutch hits strikeouts grand salamis web gems with nothing on your roof So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your Major League Baseball games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. That's D-I-R-E-C-T-V.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip codes and requires choice package. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkson. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirkchen, who covers baseball for ESPN and does a phenomenal job on all the shows that he works on, including Baseball Tonight, Tim, on Sunday. That may have been your best performance ever on a Baseball Tonight this most this uh, past Sunday. Yeah, it's really funny, Buster. I flew to Bristol on Sunday to do a show. I started watching games at 12.30, even though it wasn't a game on until 1. I watched until 7 o'clock. There was no show at 7 o'clock because the U.S. Open ran long, as we anticipated. So I went all the way to Bristol, and I didn't do anything. except. But I know on Sunday night, at least they knew they held you over to uh, to be on SportsCenter on Sunday evening, right? After the Cubs-Giants game. Yeah, I'm not sure there's anything more irrelevant than doing something other than football on the first football Sunday of the season. So no one was going to watch the show anyway, which is just so it's appropriate. We didn't have a show because the tennis <laughs> ran late. So can't uh, it's like taking batting practice or going through layup lines and not being able to play in the game. It just right, doesn't. You're having a rain out, right? Right. It's a little discouraging. All right. Uh, look, Bo Bichette, it doesn't seem to matter if he's taking batting practice or not. He's been going absolutely crazy for the Blue Jays. It's a two-run homer last night. Uh, I do radio in Toronto every week, and I mentioned this morning that the guy he reminds me of in two ways is Derek Jeter, and I want to you know, see if you agree with me on this. One, uh, post-game interviews, you know, Derek, when I covered him as a beat writer, he famously was boring. In fact, journalism students I've told through the years when they've asked me, what's it like to cover Derek Jeter? And I say, he's intentionally boring because he doesn't want to create any stories. So he would dumb down his answers. Bo's post-game interviews seem to be like that. But the other thing, uh, the other reason why he reminds me of Jeter, uh, Tim, is because he seems to be at his best when he's just aggressive and he's hacking. And he's hitting the ball all over the field. A lot of damage to right field. Maybe the bit of a difference between the two, uh, you know, Bo's not as consistent as Derek was, and he's got a little bit more pop than Derek does. What do you think? 
I see the comparisons. Um, I think he's at his best when he's swinging it, just like you're saying. I watched that home run last night that he hit. I did not think that was going out, and it did, showing you how much pop he has. Jeter is bigger to me physically than Bo Bichette is, but Bichette is doing stuff that very few shortstops have done. Like anytime, like only three, now only three. Uh, Blue Jays shortstops have two twenty have a twenty homer season, and he's one of them. He's got a couple, of course. He just finished the stretch with he had ten extra base hits in five games. No Blue Jay had ever done that. And in the month of September, he leads the major leagues in RBIs, runs scored, and hits, and is tied with Mike Trout in home runs. He's amazing. He always reminds me though of his dad, who I covered quite a bit for while I was working at Sports Illustrated. Dante told me once during the absolute prime of his career, he said, Every day I come to the ballpark, I wonder if today is the last day I'll be able to hit in the big leagues. Is today the last day that I'll still be a good hitter? Because tomorrow I might not be anymore. That's how great baseball is. That's how difficult baseball is. And maybe that was his mechanism to make sure he showed up every day saying, don't lose it today. I I think there's some some of Dante Bichette in Bo Bichette that he shows up every day saying, I got to be great today because tomorrow it might be over. That's what yeah, when he was struggling guy- earlier this year, and I don't pretend to know him, uh, you know, well, uh, you know, don't see him on a daily basis, not in the clubhouse on a daily basis. But Bo strikes me as being someone who can put a lot of pressure on himself. Yes. Yes, and I think his dad has something to do with that. Not intentionally. It's just when your dad was a really good player and your dad coached you growing up and you got that name, and it's a a pretty good name in baseball. I think there's something to that. And, yeah, I think think he always wants to prove that he's better than the next guy. And, you know, they were talking about moving him to second base. I think that angered him a couple years ago. Look, he's a quality major league defensive shortstop who can really hit. And the Blue Jays are now, help me here, tied in they're, – they're in first for the first wild card now. They're red hot, and he's the biggest reason why. Yeah, and I think there's going to be a lot of conversation down the stretch about which seating you actually want, right? If you're one of those wild card teams uh, – and my feeling would be, obviously, if you're the, the Blue Jays, you want that first series at home – uh, it, there's a potential, not only do you have a great crowd in Toronto, but then other teams might have guys who are not going to be allowed to play. They're going to be on the restricted list. Uh, but I'd say the one first, and then, you know, potentially if the Blue Jays are the sixth seed, because the Mariners, the Blue Jays, the uh, the Jays are all bunched together, uh, you know, there's a potential for the Blue Jays to be the sixth seed, which means that they would probably play Cleveland if Cleveland holds on the American League Central. I don't say that with a lot of confidence. I, if I'm Toronto, that's not a series that scares me because I think Cleveland struggles to score runs. Uh, the one series I think you don't want, Tim, if you're in that first round, you don't want to play in Seattle. You agree with me? Yeah, Seattle, as we know, hasn't been to the playoffs since 2001. That that crowd there is fantastic. The energy in that ballpark is ridiculous these days. And they're a very dangerous team. Power arms out of the bullpen. Two, maybe three quality starting pitchers for a short series. An offense that's underrated. And, again, I think they're a very good defensive team, and we don't measure by errors, but they have the fewest errors in the major leagues. 
They're a complete team. They're going to the playoffs, and I think they have a lot of momentum with the way they've played lately. I wouldn't want any part of a three- or two-game series in Seattle. And I think you'll agree with me, too, that Julio Rodriguez looks like one of those guys, maybe the way, since we're doing a lot of Jeter stuff comparisons this morning, like Jeter, I think he's going to absolutely thrive on a big stage. Yeah, again, we saw that in the Home Run Derby, Buster, which is a Home Run Derby. It's an exhibition at the All-Star Game. But there are a lot of guys that wilt even during that because the pressure's too great. And he was the opposite. He didn't just wilt. He stood up. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen in the postseason. They have a good offensive team, and he's their best offensive player. He's right in the middle of it. All the time. Another reason to like them. I I only mildly disagree with you about Cleveland, Buster. I mean, you can go – if you can go Bieber and and Tristan McKenzie one-two – uh, I think you got a chance in a short series against anybody, and I wouldn't want to play Cleveland either. In fact, I wouldn't want to play Toronto in Toronto, and the Rays with the way they pitch and with Franco back, I wouldn't want to play them either. So we joke all the time that the AL doesn't look like a great wild card situation, and yet I wouldn't want to play any of those teams given what some of them can do. I'm going to ask you about the rule changes and the uh, the reaction you've heard around the sport, but first – about Jeter, I'm just going to tell you that I've been working on David Cohn on this whole question about who should be on the Yankees' Mount Rushmore. You've got Derek Jeter ahead, uh, or in the top five, I believe, in your pecking order for the Yankees' Mount Rushmore. Uh, I, but I've been making the case to you for years that Mariano Rivera should be ahead of Jeter. I think I'm beginning to sway David Cohn toward my side. Like, we've had about eight conversations about this, Tim, And on the drive uh, back to the hotel in Chicago on Sunday night, he related how all the Braves guys, Smoltz, Glavin, uh, you know, Chipper Jones, those guys all believe they would have won as many World Series the Yankees did back in the 90s if they had been the team with Rivera. I remember I called you an idiot on national TV about 10 years ago. (laughs) No, I called you an idiot. No, I think I called you an idiot, too. and Well, I'm sure we both deserved it. All right. Um, He's not on the Mount Rushmore. My Mount Rushmore is Ruth, in order, Ruth, Gehrig, Mantle, DiMaggio, Yogi, fifth, Jeter, sixth, Mariano, seventh, Whitey Ford, eighth. So I have two Mount Rushmores, and Jeter and... uh, Rivera are on the second. Now, look, don't think I don't understand what Jeter meant. And don't think I don't understand that Mariano's the greatest closer ever. And there isn't a, there isn't a close second. He's the only guy that there isn't a close second at his position. I understand all that. I'm just saying when you're engaging a position player for the greatest position players of all time, you can't put a closer in with four of the greatest position players of all time. All I'm going to say is, and we talked about this in the car, Carl Ravitch is chiming in, Eduardo Perez is chiming in, Mariano Rivera in his postseason career, 141 innings, the equivalent of two full seasons, he allowed two home runs. He was a weapon that nobody else had, Tim, in October. And we're talking about a Yankee franchise where everything is measured by what you do in October. 
Buster, I'm well aware of what he did in October. <laughs> Jeter had 200 hits in October. Babe Ruth was a pretty good October player, and so was DiMaggio. Mickey Mantle, until we went to a 1,000 different playoff rounds, had the most home runs in World Series play or postseason play than anyone ever. It's not like I'm taking four guys off the street. I am taking the greatest player ever, the greatest first baseman ever, the third greatest center fielder ever, and the fourth greatest center fielder ever over the best closer. I'm not going to, I'm not backing down on this, Buster, not even to you, no matter how much you yell at me. Okay. So, uh, but the question is if David Cohn comes to the dark side and puts Rivera ahead of Jeter, are you going to call him an idiot on national television? No, I'm just not going to listen to any more Sunday night broadcasts. That's it. <laughs> and that's a joke. Right. So we, we talked a lot on the Sunday night broadcast about the rule changes that are coming up. What's been surprising to me, Tim, is that the folks I've talked to uh, in clubhouses, there's a lot more uh, agreement on these than I anticipated. There's a lot more people saying, yeah, let's give it a shot. Yeah, we'll, we're okay with the pitch clock. I think when the idea of the pitch clock was first introduced years ago, or the concept of it, I, 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 you know, you talk to players and they were absolutely, this is ridiculous, this is stupid, and let's not kid ourselves. Next spring, when some guy has a bad game or gets off to a slow start, he's going to complain about the pitch clock. That's just human nature. Uh, but generally speaking, I, I felt that you know folks within the game are okay with it in a way that I didn't expect. What about you? Yeah, that's what I've heard too. I was I was watching the Jason Stark Doug Glanville Starkville podcast the other day, and they had Joey Votto on. And Jason, our dear friend, said, "You know, Joey, you're you're kind of a deliberate hitter. You like to back out." And Joey like stopped. Jason right in the middle of it and said, look, I'm taking whatever they give me. Okay. But he said, if you need me to be ready in 10 seconds to hit, I'll be ready in 10 seconds to hit. And I think the same is going to go for our pitchers. Eventually they're going to figure out they're going to have to speed this up and they're going to have to go faster. And I think they can do it. I know they can do it if they are forced to do it. If there's a penalty involved, if there's a balk involved or a ball involved, they are going to make sure that they deliver the ball in the right amount of time. I think this is worth a try because all we hear about is there's not enough action and their games last too long. The players themselves need to recognize, and I think they do, that our game needs an adjustment, and I think it's coming. David Ross, uh, the Cubs manager, spoke to us before the game. Not surprisingly, because I can remember those days when he was catching for John Lester, and he when Lester would start to gripe about the umpire, he'd go out to the mound and he'd chew Lester and say, let's go, let's pick up the pace. You know, David Ross told us in a pregame meeting that he absolutely believes that uh, an enhanced pace helps the pitcher. He feels like that it makes the hitters on the defensive. And it was interesting to me that Gabe Kapler – uh, when we went over and talked to the Giants manager before the game on Sunday, he felt the exact same way. He said, look, when I face those guys who work fast, and he mentioned Mark Burley, who's famously one of the fastest workers of all time, he said, I felt like that those guys were throwing downhill at me. Like they had some momentum as they went along. I, I know when this conversation started at the outset, a lot of the people complaining were actually pitchers because they felt like, look, I need to do what I can do. To, to get ready to throw each pitch. We're seeing this generation of relievers uh, who come in and throw 1,500 sliders. Uh, they'll, they'll circle behind the mound, and they'll take time between, uh, between pitches. 
uh, you know, the folks that I've spoken with the last four or five days really believe that this could actually turn out to be a good thing, not only for pace, but actually for pitchers. Yeah, and at the Sunday night game, we saw how quickly Wade Miley worked, which was great, and it helps the pitcher. I totally agree. And remember what Eduardo said on the broadcast. He said, these are the guys that drove me crazy, not just a a soft-throwing left-hander, but someone that worked really fast. He basically said, I enjoyed getting myself ready for an at-bat, and if somebody is going too fast, I didn't enjoy that. I think – I think the hitters could be affected even more than the pitchers, like you say. But again, some of our really slow working pitchers are going to have to make an adjustment. Otherwise, they're going to be in some trouble. But again, facing trouble, they will adjust. So uh, after the Dodgers won on Sunday, uh, the in theory, they had clinched a playoff spot. That's what they were told. That's what we were told. I saw pictures. I didn't see video of this, but I saw pictures where the, the Dodgers toasted each other because they clinched a playoff spot, which at this point, 10 straight years in the postseason, isn't that big of a deal. Uh, but then we got word yesterday from Major League Baseball, oh, wait, sorry about that. <laughs> they didn't actually clinch, and so the Dodgers clinched last night. Uh, have you seen anything comparable to that in your uh, your time covering baseball? Well, <laughs> I'm actually not shocked that that happened. Um, I did a game with Roxy Bernstein the other day on the radio, and he was with Dave Roberts doing another game. And this is not a criticism. Dave Roberts did not know what the Dodgers record was going into a game. Like 90 and 40, he didn't know what their record was because he doesn't care about their record. It is. It's just, it's the biggest cliche ever. The only thing that matters is tonight's game. We have to win tonight. But for a major league manager to not know how many wins they have or not know what their record is, I found that interesting. So that kind of connects to what this is all about. About. They were going to clinch tonight or the night before. It's no big deal. Ten in a row. I get it. I just remember, though, I've told you this story, Buster. The Orioles in the mid-70s were like 50 over, and they lost a game in September in Kansas City, and they're they're leaving Kansas City to go to another city, and Earl Weaver growls to no one in particular. He said, damn, it's hard to stay 50 games over 500. And, and that shows you how few teams have ever done that. But Earl knew every record, every game of whatever was going on. Dave Roberts doesn't, and that just means they're not worried about whether they're going to win 116 games. They just want to win the World Series, and whatever comes first comes first. So you know Ben Walker works for the Associated Press, right? Of course. Okay, so he's in the middle of the story I'm going to tell you from 1998 when you had the Yankee team, which was running away, had a huge lead. They finished the season with 114 wins and 48 losses uh, the regular season. Then they blitzed through the the postseason. They finished with 125 wins. The uh, Yankees that you're playing the Mariners in a series at Yankee Stadium, and I remember this very clearly, it was a Saturday afternoon game. The game's played, the ballpark empties out, uh, and all of a sudden from the front row of the press box, Ben Walker says out loud, I think they clinched a playoff spot. <laughs> and I was like, huh? That No, that that's not right. I don't think they have. And then he explained because the you know the the Mariners or excuse me the Rangers and some other team were going to play each other. It was a guaranteed loss or something like that. And he was right, and yeah. nobody knew it. <laughs> nobody knew the Yankees clinched a playoff spot that day on August thirtieth, 
and nobody knew it. And so my story the next day was to on a, on a sleepy Sunday morning was to greet the Yankees as they came in the clubhouse and say, hey, congratulations, Scott Brosius. You made the playoffs. What do you think? <laughs> but no one had figured it out until Ben Walker started going through the math in the uh, press box. Well, first off, no surprise that Ben Walker would figure that out. He's smarter than the average bear. And, yes, look, when you're clinching at the the end of August, Buster, when we're talking about magic numbers at the beginning of September, uh, that just kind of takes away. You're too good at that point, and I think it takes away some of the drama. But that's great. And only in baseball could somebody say, hey, those teams are playing each other. Somebody's got to lose. The Yankees are in. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, I, it, it made for a challenge in writing an artful uh, game story from that Saturday because I had to write that the Yankees made the playoffs, uh, but I didn't have any player quotes and no reaction from anybody. Right. <laughs> and this is pre pre the you know, before the time when everyone was texting and had cell phones. Yes. Uh, before you go, I want to ask you about Mike Trout, who's on this unbelievable role. I, I, I feel like it's a little bit like the pools run at the end. I'm happy for Mike Trout that he's reminding everybody here in these last seven games, home run in each of these games, a chance tonight to tie the record of homers in eight straight games. I'm happy he's reminding everybody, yeah, he's still here and he's still pretty good. Yeah, he's got 35 homers and 365 at-bats. Just just put those numbers together. Um he is still the best player in baseball. And I think it angered him when everyone said, Oh, he's got a back injury. He may never play again and all this stuff. And he came back and has hit, he's hit rocket after rocket. He's got 11 homers since he came off the injured list. You ran the numbers today on Twitter. It's absurd what he's doing. Just another reminder. You can't pitch to him when he's really good. And even though he doesn't run like he used to, and maybe he's not the greatest center fielder like he used to be, He's still the best player in the game, and he's proving it again. It's just absurd. I was on the Griffey watch, by the way, when he went eight in a row. I was there for number nine when he didn't hit a homer, and I was I was around Mattingly during his eight in a row. So it's quite a feat. And even though a bunch of guys have done seven, if he gets to eight tonight, oh, boy, that will be really something to watch. Imagine, Buster, we got a guy going for 700 homers in our pools. we got a guy going for eight homers in eight games. We've got two guys, Judge and Goldschmidt, going for the Triple Crown, all within the the last three weeks of the season. I would say there's a lot of interest in baseball heading down the stretch. Mike Trout might hit his 400th career homer before his 32nd birthday next year. Probably not, but it's going to be close. Uh, Last one uh, about Trout. I I, uh, And I don't think I'm giving away any secrets here, Taylor, but uh, it looks like we're going to have Trout on the podcast next week. He's always been great. Uh, you know, I've always loved to deal with him. So have you. He's, he's, he's so gracious with his time. And I put in the request yesterday uh, and said, look, we'd love to have Trout on the podcast. And I got back from the Angels. Yeah, Mike definitely wants to do it. But how about the beginning of next week? And the more that I processed that, I thought, you know what? He's so superstitious. He doesn't want me asking him about this streak of home runs. Are you buying that? Yes. And you would jinx him, Buster, because that's what you do to people, including to me. Uh, It's typical Mike Trout. He's a baseball player. He he likes to help people. He's very gracious with his time, as you said. But he's also, I've got work to do here. I've got a record to break. Even though it's never about him, I don't think he wants anything getting in the way of this streak that he's got going. Yeah, before every game, he texts his mom, hey, I'm headed out on the field. I love you. 
and it's in a group text with his parents and he will sit in his locker and wait until they answer back. And it has to be in the right sequence. I think his sister's involved. I think his brother might be involved, his dad, but there has to be a specific sequence of text before he feels good about running out on the field. That's uh, Mike Trout's great. And he's also superstitious. All right, Tim, thanks for doing this. Okay, Buster. Talk to you next week. ESPN tournament challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now, making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, a reporter and producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, getting fired up. Uh, starting to do some research for uh, the Dodgers and the Giants game that we have this weekend in San Francisco. Looking ahead, you know, good good games today, good race developing, Mets and Braves. Uh, and, you know, I just got done talking with Tim about how great the atmosphere is going to be in Seattle if the Mariners make the playoffs. You and I were texting over the weekend about the impact, the practical impact of the defensive shifts uh, and the regulations against them. And my question to you was kind of simple, but it's a complicated answer because the metrics, can we look at some of what, uh, you know, players and how they're affected by defensive shifts, uh, you know, defensive players, how they're deployed, which players we think might be helped by these regulations? Anybody jump to mind for you? For sure. So I think, first of all, you know, we can't really say how many uh, hits uh, certain guys have lost to the shift because just because a certain, you know, second baseman has shifted over, we can't know exactly where he might have played in normal uh, setup. But we can certainly look at guys who get shifted a lot. And the guys who get shifted the most this year are Corey Seager, Kyle Schwarber, Kyle Tucker, and Shohei Otani. So those are certainly guys who will see more of a straight-up defense that could certainly help them. I know Corey Seager has been a really popular talking point. I do think it's going to be interesting because we're going to see some funky outfield alignments. I mean, just because the infielders can't shift does not mean the outfielders can't. And we may see that, you know, a right fielder is basically playing where we've seen a shortstop play against certain batters when that might be to the pull side, something like that. But certainly those guys jump out. And defensively, you know, you and I were talking, there's no great way to measure range in a way that's totally fair to every infielder. 
But what I looked at is with outs above average, you can look at which third baseman play really well, even when they're over in the shortstop side, for instance. And the guy who stands out there, no surprise, is Nolan Arenado. So yeah. I think he will just shine even more without having his space sort of changed in any way because he's already incredible. And we'll see again just how amazing that range is. Yeah, when we, Sarah, in our meetings with Gabe Kapler and David Ross, they were kicking around some of that that uh, that conversation. We started to hear around baseball about ways to beat these regulations, so to speak, or ways to to edge. And you referenced one of the ways that I I heard that which I hadn't really thought about, which is you take one of the three outfielders and you place him in a deep second base hole position. In other words, 180, 280, 200 feet from home plate, and then you play two outfielders, one in right center field and one in left center field. And I must say, when I heard that, I, I kind of hope that they they make a rule against that and that they uh, wind up having some sort of minimum distance that an outfielder can be from home plate. So in other words, you draw sort of a, a light semicircle to let the umpires know, look, you have to be at least and come up with a, the distance, 225 feet, 250 feet, uh, you, you know, the outfielders can't be more shallow, play shallower than that. What about you? Because I'm like, I, I don't want to have all that and have this big argument over whether or not an, an infielder or an outfielder becomes part of an infield shift. That that doesn't sound good to me. Well, it's certainly funny because within, you know, minutes of the announcement after that vote on Friday, I saw all of these little diagrams on Twitter from various analysts basically saying, okay, this is just what's going to happen against Joey Gallo, for instance. So to your point, I mean, if the goal is really to stop these kinds of things from happening, there may eventually have to be something against outfielders as well. I also wonder if this could be something where, you know, we saw, that even though the shift goes back to Ted Williams and even prior to that, that teams were slower to really start doing it constantly. And that happened more over the last 10 years. So I wonder if next year we'll see the Rays and the Dodgers and the Giants doing the outfielder thing, but not everybody. And if that might take a few years as well, I really don't know. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 10. So I just mentioned the Dodgers. We'll start with them, and you did as well. So the Dodgers have officially clinched the first spot in the 2022 postseason. Very exciting. We knew they'd be there, but I love when the first team clinches because you know just how close October really is. So this is their 10th straight postseason appearance. They're the third team to make at least 10 straight postseasons, joining the Braves with 14 straight in the 90s to 05, and the Yankees 95 to 07 with 13 straight. And we've talked a lot about their run differential, so felt like a good time to update that as well. They played their 140th game last night. They're at plus 316. That is the fourth highest in a team's first 140 games since 1900 behind the 1939 Yankees plus 393. 
which wow. is a wild number. The 27 Yankees at plus 342, and the 1902 Pirates at plus 323. Number two. Number two is seven. You knew that seven was going to come up here. We cannot do the numbers game the day after Mike Trout homers in a seventh consecutive game without talking about him. He has been literally automatic over his last seven games. He has homered in seven straight. He is the ninth player to do that. Of course, the record is eight. I feel like this is one of those things that at least a certain type of baseball fan just knows off the top of their head. I am certainly that fan, but Ken Griffey Jr. in 93, Don Mattingly in 1987, and Dale Long in 1956. They each homered in eight straight games. That is what Mike Trout is looking to tie. And, you know, I think the biggest surprise to me is that he hadn't done this yet because I feel like we all know watching the greatness that is Mike Trout that he's capable of this, and here he is. Number one. Number one is, we'll go with 11. So Bo Bichette, in September, he's played 11 games. This is what he has done. He is 24 for 51. That's a 5'11 batting average. He is a 1-6-7-7 OPS. So there are only four other years in Blue Jays history where a Blue Jay had at least that high of an OPS in an 11-game span. Jose Batista in 2011, Jose Batista in 2010, Carlos Delgado in 2000, and Carlos Delgado in 1999. Even with everything Vlad did last year, I had to double-check this. I was worried I did it wrong. He never got to that high of an OPS in the 11-game span. Wow. Bo Bichette has been unreal. And, you know, I had a lot of questions about the Blue Jays about a month ago. And there's still certainly a lot. But he has just given them this offensive firepower that they really hadn't had for a lot of the year. So it's been a lot of fun to watch. And he's the kind of player where when he gets on a roll, He's celebrating, you know, as he rounds bases, he's doing all that. It's very fun to watch. Oh, yeah, for sure. He's the barometer of how the Blue Jays are are going to do. Just to double back on Trout before you uh, leave, uh, I mentioned to Tim that, you know, we got uh, confirmation that he will join the podcast we asked for this week. Uh, and, and we were told, yeah, Mike wants to do it, but he wants to wait till after this road trip. And I laughed, having gotten to know him a little bit. I suspect, and I'll ask him this question next week, that the reason why he didn't want to join us is because he didn't want to jinx this streak. He didn't want to talk about the streak. Are you buying that? Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. This is why baseball is the best. I mean, baseball players will put together two and two in a way that nobody else would. But you know what? I don't want him to jinx it either. So next week sounds great. After he finishes his, you know, 13-game streak, I hope. Uh, I can't wait to hear what he uh, has to say on here. So in 2001, Paul O'Neill uh, with the Yankees, one of the most uh, superstitious players that I ever covered, 
And I walked up to him toward the end of the year and he had set one of those weird uh, records that uh, Elias will come up with that he was the oldest player to have this combination of home runs and stolen bases. And I said, hey, Paul, I got a cool number for you. And he just went off on me in a nice way. He goes, Buster, come on. Like, you know how I don't like talking about that stuff. And, and he went on, this is, t- yeah, I can't believe you're asking me about this. And I said, no, Paul, you've already done. He goes, oh, okay, what is it? <laughs> as long yeah. as he had already done it, he was okay with talking about it. <laughs> that is incredible. I can't wait to hear uh, Trout's answer to this question next week. Yeah, it'll be fun. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me. Bleacher Tweets. Already, Buster Bleacher tweets for a Tuesday. Bleacher tweets are brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. And we'll jump to Don Irvine here. He writes in, if Dr. Pepper can sponsor Bleacher tweets, why can't an adult beverage company sponsor Taylor's home studio? I've been asking that for ages now. Mm. Yeah. So what do you think? I mean, you know, I'm a man of many beverages, you know, a beer company would be great, uh, you know, whiskey or bourbon. Um, I no, would it's ex- got to be moonshine. moonshine. Like I came up with it. Yeah, 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 it needs to be named. And I actually looked this up. There is a, a, a beverage that has the name Bubba. So the Bubba Moonshine Swink Studios. Okay. Uh, that, uh, does that sound good? That works for me. I'll, I'll become a moonshine guy. No problem. Thanks for doing your yeah, research. You get all kinds of, uh, you know, some truck would, pickup truck would pull up. You'd have all kinds of preserved jars, like pulled out, clear stuff inside. You'd be mm-hmm. set for life. Oh, yeah. We'll stack them up behind me in the studio here so they could get some promotion when we're on camera. Yeah, that's a great idea, Buster. Look at you. Yeah. Okay. Next podcast, you'll have to have a nice crisp jar sitting next to you to sip on to promote. <laughs> That'll go over really well uh, with all people in my life, whiskey or moonshine in the morning. Right. And on top of that, that would mean that Sarah would have to jump in and take over the second half of every podcast. Yeah, we stopped hearing from Taylor. Sarah's taking over. <laughs> I don't know. It might be more fun if Taylor does it. <laughs> All right, we'll have to give that a whirl one of these days. Uh, let's go to at Slauncher uh, Ryan. He writes in: If the offseason results in musical shortstops and Bogarts goes to the Dodgers and Trey Turner goes to the Braves, like Buster believes, where would be the most likely landing spots for Dansby Swanson and Carlos Correa? Well, the other musical chairs that are involved there would be those for the Phillies. Potentially, although they uh, Scott has done a nice job at shortstop for them and the other team being the Red Sox. So there are major teams that uh, would be involved here. I think that if I had to change now, based on what I've heard since I last said that I got Dansby going back to the Braves. I got Trey Turner potentially going to the Cubs. Okay, mm. I think they're ready to write a big check there. But at this point, it's all a guessing game. I, 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 and I do believe that Bogarts will wind up with the Dodgers. Next up, Jack McGee at JMCG7517 writes in, too early for dead or alive. The Orioles and the AL wild card in general, it's all. Look, I'm not, Taylor, if anyone does dead or alive for the Orioles, it's going to be you. I'm not declaring that. It needs to come from an Oriole fan this year. Uh, Let's wait another week. I mean, they're they're on life support for sure. So we'll wait uh, until we officially declare them dead. 
And uh, Taylor, I've said this two or three times, and it's worth saying again. I don't understand why they just like, hey, we're in the race. Woohoo! I'm talking about the front office, not the players. Mm-hmm. But the front office basically said, yeah, we're in the race. This is awesome. Uh, and we're not going to add any. In fact, we're going to trade away two of our 10 best players. I don't get it. It's frustrating, man. It's it's like they realized that they had a shot at the playoffs like a day after the trade deadline happened. And I mean, now the, the roster has been exposed for, you know, its weaknesses. And, and yeah, and, and also that that feeling of, wow, OK, that's really cool that uh, the players have put us in position to make the playoffs. But that's not according to our timetable. Like, come on. <laughs> the spreadsheets like, wouldn't allow a buster. Go for it. Like you're, you're in position, you know, I, I don't know. I, yeah. I don't understand. You know, I'm just, I'll say this. They got me to football season. I had something there I was go. interested in and, you know, hopefully next year we, we make the the right steps and make some good signings. You know, I got lots of thoughts on that, but it's a long off season. So we'll wait on, on all that. Uh, let's go to my guy, Max Levowitz. He writes in any chance that pool holes challenges Babe Ruth as Hembo predicted. no, no, he'd have to hit 17 home <laughs> runs down the stretch. No, he's not. And we can't have Hembo be right. You know, he's already had a good year as it is, becoming a dad, two baby girls, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't also have, on top of that, that incredible prediction he made uh, before the season started that we greatly mocked him for. <laughs> Dang it, Hembo. Let's go to Mr. Jakey RS. He writes in, just came back from Dave Stewart's Jersey retirement in Oakland, thinking about his four 20 game winning seasons. Who is the best pitcher to never win the Cy Young award? And don't Cy say, Young. don't say it. He said, don't say it, Buster. Well, it's Cy Young. That, okay. That's, that's the obvious answer. Second, second be, right? best pitcher never to win the Cy Young award. Okay. How about Walter Johnson? There you go. <laughs> Dang it, Buster. Uh, all right. That well, that's before the Cy Young Award was bestowed. Uh, let's make that clear to everybody. Yeah. But Walter Johnson probably was the best pitcher. He's to me, you know, the greatest pitcher of all time. Shout out Walter Johnson High School, uh, Tim Kirkshen's alma mater, and that's it for right. Bleacher tweets. Send them in as we're watching games, everyone. That's it for today. Uh, my thanks today to Tim, to Sarah, to Sarah, to Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. We'll have another podcast on Wednesday. Woo. Sweet.